millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. We lost them on Apple Day, which is fitting in a way. Oh, yeah? Because apples is the one thing you can't eat without teeth. Ah, fair point. So you might say it was the apples getting their own back. How'd you make that out? Uh, Because being with the apples is how they got smashed in the smithereens. Smashed? (laughs) Ah, 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 Well, no, it, 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 it might be under the track. But, yeah, but, oh, they might not have got smashed up at all. Oh, oh. Make your mind up, Jim. Yeah, you know, because, in fact, we we, we don't know what happened to my teeth. They might very well turn up good as new, safe and sound, in some place where I've completely forgotten where I had found. Hang on, so there you are. Well, where? Oh, oh, steady, Joe, steady. Good night, and I'll be on my way. Joe, do, do you need a lift? No, no, thanks, David Archer. I've got a lift already. Well, Good evening, Cosmo here. As adherents of the Archers, we all know that it is Joe Grundy who ensures that we know with absolute certainty the full name of everyone else appearing in that scene. A touch that with the sad loss of Edward Harry Kelsey, or Ted, may well end after his remaining recordings are aired. The fate of the character may take some time to crystallise, but a few words about Ted. He was born in Petersfield, Hampshire, and whilst he was some years younger than Joe, 88 versus 97, he certainly sounded the right age. He did not originate the part of Joe, becoming the third actor to be Joe, and he ran with it for 34 years. His acting career had commenced many years earlier through a speech and drama course at the Royal Academy of Music after national service, and in his final year, he won what is now known as the Colton Hobbs Award, the main benefit being a six-month contract with BBC Radio Drama. When that contract ended, he was offered touring theatre by Brian Ricks and then played in repertory theatre in Guildford. Alongside this, he continued to work with BBC Radio Drama and was therefore known to the Archers' management when the part needed to be recast. The BBC reports his first scene in February 1985 was with Walter Gabriel and Tom Forrest. I hope they have gathered to raise a glass of Grundy cider as they meet again. Although for Walter, perhaps, it will be his special beer. 
His activities outside Ambridge were extensive. Several parts in Danger Mouse, Wallace and Gromit, The Vicar of Dibley, and three different appearances with Doctor Who. There have been extensive mentions from fellow cast members online, which revealed his love of caviar and red wine, <laughs> a long marriage, and three children. May he rest in peace. Thank you, Cosmo, for that wonderful obit of Edward Kelsey, our beloved Joe Grundy, who will be sorely missed by all Dumdy Dummers. This is Dumdy Dum, the show about the reality docudrama drama that are centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the falconry display that is Royfield Brown, and with me have the predatory bird that is Lucy Freeman, and the last part of the lower Loxley. Day of fun, folks, is you. Uh, so, of course, this week we didn't have a dum-de-dum because I thought that um, considering the loss that uh, the Archers has gone through, we'd pay a scene um, just which kind of encapsulates everything yeah. that was the character of Joe and uh, a, a lovely tribute from our Cosmo. But, Lucy, mm. if on another week where we're not all a little bit uh, downbeat because of a loss of a beloved actor, uh, and somebody wants to call us in and send us in a dumpty dum just how can that be done? If you would like to sing us a dumpty dum leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203-0313105 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Uh, thank you to Cosmo for his podcast roundups and for the Dumpty Dogs, Shambridge for her brilliant voices, Mike Hatton for his character counts, and to Derek, learn in the back bedroom. It was a big weekend for Derek. Uh, he finished the marathon. I have told him that we've been calling them Snickers for years now, but he will not listen. <laughs> well done, you. Oh, yes. Sorry. Dumpty Dum Live is Saturday, 11th of May, 2019, 7.30pm, £12, Saturday night with us. What more could you want? Plus the wonderful Emerald O'Hanrahan, who plays Emma Grundy brilliantly. And uh, she's lovely, we're lovely, you're lovely, it will all be lovely, but you just need to book your tickets uh, on the Dumpty Dum website. Cool. And, of course, Dumpty Dum Live will be in Birmingham. Oh, yes, I forgot. To to, yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. it was. <clears throat> yes, well done, right. Me. Now, on this week's uh, episode, we hear views from Andy from Denmark, Old Grey Whiskers with a Spoon, Steve Catherine, Terry Malloy, Claire and Fiona, Tim Bentink and Becky Wright. But first, before the caller in us, it's our Lucy and our week in Ambridge. <laughs> <laughs> seamless, Royfield, seamless. No one will notice. <laughs> <coughs> That's good. <coughs> We started the week seamless, at Lower Loxley. Seamless. <laughs> oh, such a phrase. We started the week at Lower Loxley, where Lizzie and Shula were plaiting manes. Oh, I say, it's all just whizzo, said Shula. Isn't he going to look super? And it's your birthday too, so you're getting a birthday tea, you lucky old sausage. I know. Isn't it all jolly marvellous, Elizabeth? Even though I have got depression, but hey ho. Kent had reported back on Jolene's tour with Bin Fuckley, which is all going marvellously, <laughs> although Royfield doesn't believe in it. 
<laughs> there was a slightly awkward interlude with Tom and Natasha, who talk to each other as if they barely know each other, but I bet that's because they barely know each other. But I'm glad to see that Natasha has been in Ambridge long enough to know that by declaring, we're going to have the best day ever, she has almost guaranteed it being a total shit show. Well done, Natasha, you learn quickly. Russ's new exhibition is called Brexfart. Oh, God, it'll be lots of sub-Damien Hurst 1990s things covered in faded Union Jacks, won't it? And everyone will say, oh, it's a bit radical for Lower Loxley, which I like to think specialises in dodgy oil paintings of horses with three legs, as the artist was a bit confused by perspective, and wishy-washy watercolours called Sunset from Lakey Hill, Sunrise from Lakey Hill, and Lakey Hill. Tom ended up playing <laughs> the bloody Easter rabbit, never was a ha-ha less funny. Over at the stables, God alone knows what was going on. You like this, don't you? Said Shula to an accompanying equine whinny. Alan appeared and said, Oh dear, have I called it a bad moment? I see you're just pleasuring a horse, Shula. I'll pop back later. Shula really, really needs a boyfriend. Hurry up, yackle, till she'll be after that bloody donkey. Her mother is not much more gifted than romantic stakes, to be honest. Her idea of a hot date with poor Leonard was to take him to the graveyard to put a bunch of weeds on her dead husband's grave. <laughs> Fortunately, Leonard <laughs> has now got Stockholm Syndrome and is as balmy as the rest of them, so he wasn't bothered. He just sat there claiming to have seen an orange tit. The only orange tit I'm aware of is Donald Trump, so God knows what Leonard was looking at. Maybe someone threw hey. a satsuma at him. Who knows? Ed came back from doing a little job for Tim. It hasn't changed him. Now he's being now he's on the wrong side of the law. All right, sweetheart, he said, chewing a cigar in the doorway of the tea room and adjusting his trilby. I'll have a piece of lemon drizzle. Lemon drizzle royale. The water system is playing up in the dairy. It's all those bulrushes getting tangled up in the poo. There is no way on this earth I would eat anything <laughs> produced on that farm. Natasha was having a bit of a day of it, to be honest. First of all, she got cornered by Tony, who thought he'd say something cheering. We're so glad, Natasha, that you're in the family now. Thing is with Tom, you see, he's always been a bit of a cretin. But now you've started being his carer, we're reassured. Is there some kind of allowance you could get? We can always arrange respite care if feeding him gets too difficult. Meanwhile, poor old Mia was at home, simultaneously polishing shoes, washing Parpy's hair and attempting to do her algebra homework. Then just for a change, we all got a massive sense of deja vu, as Will said for the 140th time, Oh, I'm sorry, Mia, I got it wrong. I called Rory a perv and tried to get him put on the sex offenders list because he was trying to teach you how to throw a tea bag into a cup. Why does no one ever say to Will, you know what, mate, you wouldn't have to spend half your life apologising if you didn't spend the other half being a knee-jerk dickhead. At the ball, Jazza was trying to distract Jimus from editing his CV by insisting that Jimus needed a birthday party as Alistair's had gone so well. Jazza is now the birthday fairy. He's in danger of competing with Alice, the alcoholic wedding planning nuclear physicist drone operative farm machinery saleswoman <laughs> in the multitasking states, as he is now a professional Scotsman event organizing milkman singer pig specialist. If they joined forces, there would not be a business card in the world big enough. Anyway, he was reluctant to address his CV, but Jimus insisted, saying that he hadn't missed a lecture on Borchester's surprising migrants for this. I was somewhat startled by this before I realised he was talking about birds, as Ambridge is the whitest place in the world, and I've been to Devon. Natasha was on her way back home after a testing afternoon with Piggy. She'd managed to shut Hilda Ogden in the kitchen, 
in the gas oven, gas mark eight, which solves one problem. But then Piggy had asked if Natasha could please have some more children, dear. No, sorry. Gas mark eight, which solved one problem. But then Piggy had asked if <laughs> Natasha could please have some children as Piggy was bored. Meanwhile, over in the airing cupboard above the shop, Tom was getting excited. He hadn't been able to find any scented candles for his romantic evening in with Natasha, so he'd got an Airwick plug-in air freshener and set fire to that instead. He'd bought a gourmet meal from the bridge farm shop, leek soup, followed by leek, followed by soup. Natasha came through the door and immediately fell over the box set of A History of Borsetshire in 34 episodes that Tom had bought. What the bloody hell's this? she shouted. It's a clue to where we're going on honeymoon, he said delightedly. I thought, bridge farm. It's near pigs and mum still wants me close by as she's still breastfeeding. The noise of a door slamming and high heels clip-clopping up the road echoed round the village. At the lodge, Hilda Ogden and Peggy sat back in their armchairs, feet up on the coffee table, gin bottle between them, fags on. Well, that went well, said Piggy happily. That's the last we've seen of that bitch. I've never liked the Welsh. Look at Pat. I couldn't stand any more bloody leek soup for one thing. Cheers, Hilda. The end. That was a triumph. Well done, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Well done for picking help to pick up my spirits on a, a little bit of a, a dodgy wicket of a week. Sad. So yes. well done, you. Well done, you. Yes. Um, has it been? Is it? But you mean because of Joe? Yeah, because of our. Or Edward nothing else Ted. has gone wrong, has it? Um. No. AFC Wimbledon drew, so we're out of the relegation places. And Birmingham didn't get tonked. Golden State Warriors are through to the next round of the basketball playoffs. And the Cleveland Browns are still America's team. So all in all, all the things that are truly important in my life uh, went well. And I saw Game of Thrones and Avengers Endgame this weekend. So, uh, yeah, Ah. that stuff's all good. However... Um, Edward Kelsey, you know, that, yeah. you know, he couldn't last forever, but he, he, he did try his best to though, didn't he? Rather long innings. Yeah. And, and also, <clears throat> I mean, we, uh, uh, he wasn't ill, I don't think, or if he did, it was very, uh, it was a very short illness, uh, thankfully. But, um, I actually, it's ridiculous considering that Joe Grundy never said anything without giving his full name and his age. And, I'd kind of assume that the actor was of a similar uh, age range, which he sort of was. He was 88, I think. Mm. But it's still a character so... Like, I will be surprised when Peggy dies. Mm. And whether or not the actress dies as well, I will be surprised. I was surprised that the actor that played Joe died because I am so continually so impressed with the archers that of their attitude towards older uh, actors and older characters. They're still vital members of the village. They're still vital cast members. And Mm -hmm. um, that they carry on working until, literally until they they, they conk out, you know, which is just Mm. bloody marvellous, I think. And, you know, it's... Uh, and it, it, it's it's sort of testament to um, Edward Kelsey's vigour as an actor that I was surprised to hear that he died. One of the things which makes the archers feel so real is exactly that, in that actors don't just shuffle off as they do mm. in, in, in EastEnders or Coronation Street after three or four years. 
that actually what you have is a lifetime's worth of character development with one person, possibly sometimes two, but generally one person playing that character. Well, it's like Rita Fairclough, isn't it, on Coronation Street? Who I was staggered. Yeah, Yeah. Deirdre, Deirdre died. Oh, yeah. You mean Audrey? No, I actually did mean Deirdre, but right. Uh, yes. Because anyway, Anne Kirsten died, were, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. she did. She, she did. Um, but she was in it forever, though, was my point. Yeah. And she played but, you know, that part until she died. But yeah. yes. So you you don't kind of have this kind of, um, it's it's hilarious that the changeover of younger characters is much more rapid than the changeover in the older characters because they're just there for millennia, you know, mm. and uh, in the archers. And it's, I think that's, that's fabulous and people grow older with the characters which and the actors which is just brilliant lovely Mm, yeah um i had a very brief um interaction uh with our ted um last august do you remember when i bumped into uh brian aldridge yes in in the lift right I think that was one of the greatest moments of your life, wasn't it? I I can't have lost Um, track of the amount of times that you say to me, did you know I met Ryan Aldridge in the lift? Yes, Royfield, I know. (laughs) Well, what I I didn't tell you is that Mm. um, I saw uh, Ted uh, five seconds before, actually. Oh. So he was, I came out of my hotel room. He came walking down the corridor uh, with a little cane and I went, you're Joe Grundy. And he said, yes, I am. And I said, I'm a big fan. He said, thank you. And that was it. And we just walked straight past each other. Lovely. Then I got in the lift and saw, uh, uh, you know, saw, saw Brian Aldridge. And then the next day um, morning, when I'd actually composed myself, because I was just too much in, in fanboy mode for me to think, right, I should accost these people, stick my iPhone underneath their nose and get them to say something. I was just like, ah, you know, these are people who I've been listening to for like 30 odd years. That is the closest I ever came to having anything kind of like meaningful. But the, the thing which I always think was important about the character of Joe is he does connect, if not actually, definitely thematically, uh, the listener to those older characters like Jethro and Tom Forrest, etc. Those, you know, those way back when characters, when... Mm-hmm. As Kerry said in the interview he did with us a couple of months ago, there were real rural people that used to be on the show. Mm-hmm. No, you know, he wasn't one of those, but he sounded mm. like those. He was mm-hmm. that crossover between people yeah. who were literally yanked out of a real farm somewhere in the Midlands and, you know, put in front mm. of a studio mic and said, talk. And and in a, and in a way, the... I suppose we still have um, Bert Fry, mm. but Bert Fry is such an occasional character that we don't connect with him in the same emotional way that we do with Joe. Joe mm. has been integral to many a script up until yeah, like right now, you know. So you feel that that link from the very first episode of The Archers is kind of now being broken, you know. All the all the older actors, with the the exception of, well, it's there's something about having the rural working class on mic. It it makes this thing feel very grounded and authentic in the way that Mm. the character of Peggy 
doesn't quite. Peggy has the whole the whole history of her being married to the to the two Jacks and you know coming out of the ball, etc. But there's something about that regional brogue that Joe delivers, mm. and you really believe that Ambridge is a place. And I think that link has kind of been broken between that mm. and the original vision yeah. of the Archers now. But anyway. And also, the, one of the lovely things that I always loved about Joe was the fact that he, because he was as old as Noah, he could remember who everybody started out as, regardless yes. of what they're now pretending to be. He remembered mm. Peggy as a, as, a, as a landlady. He remembered, you know, everybody's past which is why he sort of had this scathing attitude towards people and would use their full, and they're a full original name, you know. Mm. And, uh, you know, he sort of didn't put up with any, any, but he caught on to anybody that was acting like Jennifer Aldridge, you know, uh, more than they were, you know, better than they ought to be or a cut above and whatever when, when they hadn't, if they were being disingenuous, you know, he was always the one to sort of point that out because he could remember their roots he knew where they'd started from and he knew everybody's secrets you know Mm. apart from peggy there's 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 not many of them that are in that position anymore Mm. and certainly who maybe would be too polite to mention it whereas joe had no such um restrictions he just felt able to just tell anybody what he thought of them there's a scene which i'll play right at the end of uh this episode which is, um, I think it's the scene where, do you remember when Brian was saying that he was going to go down all guns are blazing and he was going to have his day in court? And yeah. then it was basically Joe that kind of talks him yeah. out of it, un- unwittingly. Yeah. Joe, didn't, yeah. Joe didn't realise Brian's state of mind. And Joe talks about ending up at Meadow Rise and, you know, it's really sad, Brian, that you've had to leave uh, leave your you know, your palatial pad. Mm. And Brian mm. is like, dumbfounded. He says, Joe, I thought you'd, you know, you'd be, you kind of be gloating. He says, why would I mm. take great pleasure in that considering what my family went through when we had to go and yeah. go to the council estate. And it's, uh, and it goes to really what you're saying that Joe had this perspective, but also um, his, his realness, his earthiness didn't mean that, um, he would then gloat in a situation where, you know, Brian Aldridge had came come crashing down, you know, yeah, socially, yeah. economically, domestically. So, no, one, wonderful character. And I'm sure they'll give him a fitting tribute, uh, a fitting yeah. send-off, sorry, um, on on the show. And, um, and let's mm-hmm. hope in the nicest possible way that lots of scripts are, are being rewritten now that the actor is, is gone. Because mm-hmm. I said the, the wonderful thing, about uh ted uh was that the character of joe was wasn't just a bit part you know he was integral mm. to understanding the grundies as a family as a unit but also um given a perspective to the village as you kind of said mm. yeah yes rest in peace and thank you edward yeah thank you sir uh right now um it's quarter in a time Arlus. yay Hello, Ambridge3962. Now, I've probably put these in any old random higgledy-piggledy order. So, um, it's first off is our Fiona. Hi, it's Fiona from Lancaster, a first-time caller in her. 
I'm a project manager and I'm a Ruth Archer, who was called Ruth Pritchard then. So I'm calling in about last week's um, last week's bro- um, broadcast when you wanted a backstory for Jill to explain why she was so interested in family. Well, that is really clear because I remember incredibly clearly that when Elizabeth didn't want to take the twins to their father's funeral, Elizabeth to- um, Jill told her about how all of a sudden she had a backstory, which is that her parents had died and she wasn't allowed to go to the funeral and she was brought up by some relatives and she presumably had a really miserable childhood after that. Nobody ever talked about the funeral. And so mm. obviously she desperately wants family. And I don't know whether the scriptwriters know this stuff or whether we just make it up and read more into it than was ever meant. <laughs> but if the scriptwriter does remember that, if the scriptwriters do remember that, then it's absolutely brilliant. And there's so much in the arches to think about. Thank you for everything you do. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you, Fiona. Uh, what, what, a, what a great observation. And what an exemplary caller in her, listing everything. You could tell she's a project manager. Ticks all the boxes. <laughs> yep. Didn't she just? Didn't she just? <laughs> uh, moving from um, up north uh, to uh, the northern climes of Europe, it's our Andy from Denmark. Hi, Lucy and Royfield. It's Andy from Denmark again. Um, I'm really enjoying the Natasha and Tom story. I am getting that funny feeling that uh, I used to get when I used to listen to Rob and Helen. And I feel that Natasha is going to beat up Tom and uh, he is going to be a battered husband, um, which Pat and Tony uh, will be absolutely devastated after going through what they did with Helen. Um, That's how it's feeling like to me, because Tom is beginning to sound a little bit scared of her uh, Mm. when she confronts him. And it's all just very Helen and Rob, just uh, uh, the sexes have been um, twisted around. So, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to seeing how that one develops. Anyway, that was a very short one. I don't have any nonsense this time, um, but I'm sure I will think of something soon. (laughs) Keep up the good work. Ciao. Bye. Surely Tom would be a battered sausage. Surely. Yay. Well done. How long did it take you to come (laughs) up with that gag? (laughs) (laughs) I tell you, it's stuff like that, which you just go, "Mm, I do wish I was actually back home, you know. And I can't remember the last time I had a battered sausage, but you say battered sausage. And I go, yeah, I really fancy one of them now. If I was in Brum. Oh, they're revolting. I know. That's exactly what I was about to say. If I was in Brum right now, it'd be the last thing I'd actually want. But, you know, (laughs) maybe a steak and kidney pie. I do love a steak and kidney pie, though. Um, I'm not quite so sure about tom becoming a, a, I know a battered what he spouse means. there was a, no we're not going to go down that route but i there was a uh, he was talking about natasha and she said something and he responded very uh, she said oh is it is it not lily or is it lilies or something and he said what do you not like lilies i can get rid of the lilies i can do that and there was that element of desperation in his voice the same sort that there has been the same uh, sort that there was in Helen's voice. But the difference is, I think, 
Tom basically realizes that he has made the most colossal mistake, or they have made the most colossal mistake. Um, I think Helen was more optimistic because of her, bless her, her, her sort of um, lack of self-confidence. She was more optimistic for longer about Rob. It sort of took longer to sink in. She was in denial for much longer. Whereas Tom's just realized this is a catastrophe. What the hell have I done? And he honestly thought that by doing this ridiculous, you know, honeymoon and this romantic meal and da 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 da, da that, you know, he could actually fix the, the, the god awful mess that they're in. Um, but I know what you mean, Andy. There was that, that note of kind of, oh, what, you know, I can do this. I can do this. What do you, you know, you want, you want Phoenix feathers? Yes, certainly. I'll go and get those for you. You know, just anything. One of the key differences, I think, Andy, between actually uh, Natasha and Rob is that Rob was played deftly at first, but descended into being nothing but a pantomime villain. That's a bit, little bit harsh. Yeah. But in the end, for the last 18 months, he was remorselessly, relentlessly bad with the odd little fleck of how he dealt with Henry or how you might perceive. But ultimately, that's the way that it was. Whereas there's much more nuance to Natasha, much more mm. nuance. So I think there is a yeah. key difference. But anyway, Andy, uh, thank you for coming on and being controversy free. You know, it almost didn't feel <laughs> like our Andy, did it? You know, he, when he, he said, said to... "I get the same feeling when Natasha's horrible as I did when Rob's." I think, I think he's a mm. sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this I'm up with you, Andy. But anyway, there thank is. you for your contribution, you need help, mate. sir. Help. <laughs> now it's time for old grey whiskers. Roy Royfield, this old grey whiskers here. Now, what do you mean by blowing my cover like that? I mean, I don't take the trouble to dress up in me old tweed jacket, bowler hat, corduroy breeches and leather gaiters to leave your messages, just so you can tell everyone that it's really a former IT training and support person from a multinational home appliance company, and then tell everyone my full name. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. If the folks are in the ferret and bicycle clips ever listen to thy podcast thingy, I'd be afraid to show me face there. Anyway, tis old grey whiskers signing off. Bye. Bye-bye, Bye. mate. Um, old Grey Whiskers, uh, quite simply, when you are at the coalface, so to speak, all right, and there's Lucy delivering an awesome monologue and you've got buttons to press and you've got an hour's worth of um, podcasting time to think, uh, to fill, sorry, uh, your brain your brain goes blank. And I, and I, and I, and I read out kind of like your name as opposed to your handle, sir. So please forgive me, Mr. Old Grey Whiskers. It will never happen again. Or at least if it happens again, it's because I'm panicking and there's just too many things going on. Right. So, uh, so there you go. <laughs> but uh, I do like the way that we went into your, your, your real voice, sir. And then we, then yes. we came back. <laughs> anyway, so Mr. Whiskers, we salute you as always. And now it's uh, Steve Parrott. Hi, Lucy, Royfield and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. Steve Parrott here. Steve underscore Parrott on the Twitters. It's a really brief call to say I really hope that the scriptwriters don't continue with the impending disaster for Emma and Will. I was really, really rooting for the two of them working every hour to get a deposit together to buy their own home. Yeah. Having seen someone very close to me do that very same thing, by de denying all her own pleasures for a couple of years, 
I was hoping that we'd see the same small triumph in Ambridge. It is, I think, a shame that all soaps and docudramas don't celebrate success every now and then. Hey, scriptwriters, we're here to be cheered up as well as reminded of life's realities. Oh, goodness. Uh, that, that was, we need a sign-off. That, that just know, went, he didn't did, it? Uh, can I just point out as well, Steve did then send us a panic-stricken tweet saying, oh, God, I said, <laughs> I said Emma and Will. I meant Emma and Ed. And we said, yes, we know. <laughs> I think he's absolutely right. I completely agree. It feels like they've been sacrificed. The happy ending that we want for them has been sacrificed for um, sensationalism when actually we could just do with something nice happening for them, really, really. Mm. There's a deeper question than than just um, Ed and Emma, and it is the reasons why we find continuous dramas compelling. And the highs need to be there, but actually we kind of revel in the lows. And I, and I mm. think what makes The Archers um, different from other continuing dramas is that there is more of the middle. There is more time just to explore yeah. character. Yeah, but, there's but, more jogging along where nothing happens, thank God. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But still, there there are the you know Kenton and you know money issues. There are uh, Alistair. There is Alistair and, and uh, gambling addiction. There are those things, and we go, oh, gosh, you know. And it, it, I don't. Many more articulate and clever people with bigger brains than me have written about this before. And it's not schadenfreude per se that we, that we want to see characters who we have some level of connection to, whether it is just um, we watch or listen to them on a regular basis or whether we're emotionally connected to go through the ringer. But Mm. fundamentally that's what we do. And, and these are morality tales as well. That's, you know, these, these are parables and these, these kind of come from the dawn of telling stories around the campfire. And it's a case of um, here's, here's a story of somebody they did wrong or something bad happened to them. Make sure this doesn't happen to you. You know, it's fun. Mm. It's as elemental as that yeah. really. So you, you but can't. Also, I think, mm, I think there's a, there's a definite element with the Grundies in particular of everyone's got a family that. If you live in a village, there's always one family that's either cursed with bad luck or bad choices. And it depends how charitably you are over how you view that. Um, And also sort of where your political standpoint is really, I suppose. But um, it's kind of like you you just, you know, you don't, I don't want to believe in, you know, the hapless working class Grundies who continually make bad choices, end up on the wrong side of the law and get, court with clary saying to eddie eddie if you do that i'll that will be i've had enough eddie and then him trying to get away with it and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but them never managing to properly pull themselves out of the mire and Mm. emma and ed seem to be you know they 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 had a level of reflection that eddie and clary don't have or didn't don't appear to have they had um 
you know, sort of uh, they had uh, ambition. They were doing things the right way, the, you know, the legitimate way, whatever. And it just seems too easy to have had Ed slide back into doing things under the radar, you know, a little bit sneaky and then justifying it by saying, well, us, us Grundies never get a break. So, so we're justified in, you know, bending the rules, which is what Eddie said all the way along. Well, you've got to help yourself because they're not going to, them posh ones aren't going to help you, blah, 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 blah. Mm. You know, it's been like that all the way, you know, the dodgy meat he was trying to sell, the poaching, all that stuff. And it just feels like Ed is replaying that with Emma's kind of, um, um, compliant. She's sort of, she's complicit in it. And it just feels like a bit, a bit tired. I just thought they were different. I think that the scriptwriters might, well, I really thought that they were going to change that and not let us fall down that particular sort of um, trope, you know, that trope hole. But it looks like because he's done the job and he's got the money and he seems to be very pleased with himself that he's done the job and got the money, um, that it looks like it, it is going to happen that way. Which I think is a shame. I thought, yeah, it's very true. It is a shame if that's exactly how this is going to end up. But I thought that you were going to say that he didn't fall down this particular ha ha. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there is there is another way of looking at this, and it isn't by accident that this is happening to a couple called Grundy. But you could arguably say that. What this, what they are a metaphor for, a symbol for, is um, the fact that um, it is hard for young couples actually to get on the property ladder now. Infinitely harder than it was for people 30, 40, 50 years ago. And, 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 and actually what Emma is striving for is normalcy yeah. When, when viewed like that, and she and it, yeah. and it is not attained, you know there is all the things which Eddie used to do back in the day, as, as you said. But here is Emma, who is, as you said before, a grafter, and and all she wants is something which is, which at least thirty years ago plus would have been a very ordinary ambition, and yeah. no one would have yeah. blinked an eye. Yeah. But she, but it's but a struggle her, to obtain her, it. You know, Ed and um, Clary and Eddie owned Grange Farm, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lost it. Um, but uh, Susan and um, Neil absolutely fought to get um, their house, Ambridge View, to build it themselves. To you know, that mm. was a huge um, deal for them, a huge kind of triumph yeah. that they did mm. it, a personal triumph. And uh, you can see why that sort of. <sighs> Yeah, why that was set up as such a thing for Emma to want. Um, although Chris and Alice rent, don't they? Even though, is it Alice? It was sort of gifted to Alice, wasn't it, that house? Yes, exactly. Um, but if you marry an Aldridge, all the all the all bets are off, aren't they? All the, all the rules are different. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, I don't know. I'm just sort of disappointed that because something's going to go wrong and then bloody Will is going to be able to say to you're just like dad and all that stuff. And, you know, I just mm. don't want that because Ed is different and I thought they were different and I don't want them to to just follow that kind of, you know, 
uh, oh, let's just do it the shitty way sort of thing. I just don't, don't, but I completely understand what, you know, I'm very, very, very lucky. I've never had to work. I've had two jobs at once. I've never had three jobs at once or however Mm. many Emma's got, but you know, um, and I, I cannot imagine what, uh, uh, what it's like to have to sort of think about every single thing that you spend like she does. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. It just feels like a bit of a storyline, a bit kind of mm. trite. There, there is, there is another, bit there lazy. is another angle. There is another angle to this, which I only thought about after listening back to to Steve's call, is that where where this also kind of slightly stands in, and I suppose the type of worker that Ed is, um, this industry had it first, but it's kind of the gig economy, isn't it? The fact that nobody had, not not nobody, but like the large sections of society now, um, people have no no pension. There is no security in terms of even mm. knowing necessarily yeah. next week what you're yeah. going to be doing, how many hours. So this could be somebody working at, um, gosh, what's that dreadful place that uh, Mike Ashley owns with zero hour contracts? Uh, sports are sports direct there you go and i said dreadful uh deliberately and i'm not editing that out um so you know whether you work in a city and you work for sports direct or actually you're an agricultural worker and one minute ed is working with adam the next minute is somewhere else etc etc yeah and and if increasingly more people are working like that how the hell can you then go to your a regular bank and say i know yeah. that you know yeah. if you give me this 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 loan for 25 years i guarantee i will pay you this yeah back. yeah you know so you know there are many yeah. things going on with, with ed and emma yeah. and, and i think um maybe i just when... want them to be happy is it not too much to <laughs> ask right well there's so every time you turn on the news there's some other sodding disaster or thing you've got to feel depressed about or mildly responsible for or something like that and i just want it something to work out for somebody especially for characters Ooh. who are portrayed as fundamentally being decent that's a thing you know if, mm. they, if, if this was um matt crawford you'd say well you want fire and damnation to to be visited upon him but because these <laughs> two are somewhat portrayed as being decent but and then just just to wind this back to what do we get out of drama? Of course, this weekend um, is seeing the release of, of Avengers Endgame. And my God, is that an emotional roller coaster? Yeah. And, and it's because it's the end. So you yeah. can have the crashing, crashing um, highs and lows, but it got resolved and people teared up. You can't have the archers do something like that to that extent because there still is another episode to come the next day, another 12 minutes a day after that, and another 12 minutes after that. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, so anyway, moving swiftly on. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Catherine Chevalier from Strawberry Hill here. Sorry I haven't called in for a while. Um, I've got a plot prediction about Mia. I'm just wondering if Miss Jenkins, the new tutor, might be the person to notice what's obvious to all of us listeners. Mm. Um, She's experienced in working with young people. 
I assume as an ex-teacher, she knows all about safeguarding. Surely she'll notice that all's not right and either raise it with Will or maybe even her school. I think she will feel she has a duty of care. I might be clutching at straws, but someone has to help that poor girl. Thanks for the wonderful show. I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Yep, absolutely. What's really annoying me is that people like Emma who I trust, having just said that she's a (laughs) shiftless con woman, but anyway, um, who I trust and, um, uh, you know, uh, Clary and Susan, they are all congratulating Mia on how well she is coping. Nobody is questioning the fact that she should not be in that position having to cope at all. Mm. Oh, you just like your mother. I can really see your mother. No, her mother was a 35-year-old woman who is who was capable of dealing with all this shit. This is a, you know, a 12-year or 13-year-old girl. It's, you know, there's there's it's kind of like this acceptance, this grudging acceptance of, well, this is just one. It's not just children. This is just what girls do. Nobody's asking Jake to wash, wash Poppy's hair. Nobody's asking, um, you know, nobody's questioning the fact that Will can't even get his ass into gear to buy fucking bread. Well, I, I think there's just about enough hints that uh, people are about to, to realise how much Will is actually putting, putting on me, Mia's shoulders. Um, but I suppose the reason yeah. why nobody swooped in sooner is because they're too busy dealing with shit and bullets in their own lives, uh, which yeah. is, which is the way of these things and stuff. And us as the listeners, we're, we're privy to, to everything in the round, but I, I believe it is coming. And I think it was last week you called Will a sexist pig. And mm. my God, uh, will you prove right by Sunday's episode, which um, I, I will mention because my God, you are proved right, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and we'll, we'll leave it at that. But now um, let's do our Claire and she's from Clapham. Hey, Dumpty Dum, it's Claire from Clapham here. I'm back from my travels of which you can hear more about on uh, Map Corner, I'm sure. And um, one of the things that happened while I was away was that they remembered that Lewis exists. Hurrah! I've been (laughs) going on about that for ages. Um, They only remembered about him to take his job off him, to give it to Russ uh, in Ambridge Jobberry style. But why they couldn't have done that three months ago, I do not know. Um, I hope he makes a go of it. And uh, maybe that gives him a reason to stick around and be useful. Uh, That said, someone who perhaps isn't going to stick around is Natasha. And I feel a bit sorry for both Tom and Natasha, if I'm honest. Uh, I think they're both better off without the other. Um, But when Natasha stormed off, it just really reminded me of that moment when Tom took Brenda to see the plot on the farm while he was planning to build them a house when they were engaged. And she just, I think, freaked out and realised that Tom was never going to have his horizons anywhere wider than Bridge Farm. And Mm. she just wanted to live a bigger life than that. And... um, I think Natasha's much the same. I, I think she has been got a bit of a false impression, really, because she met Tom while he was doing the Nuffield and he was travelling and mixing with people from all over and all that. And I, I think she underestimated how much he was very dedicated to his farm. Now, 
That said, I just don't understand how she's got this like thriving business and she's been based in Wales. Where are they making her fruit juices? And how come she's got all this time to swan around in the middle of the day, even though she complains about it, to go and have tea yeah. and do makeovers? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Anyway, yeah. uh, keep up the good work and I will speak to you again soon and I'll see you in Birmingham. Bye. <coughs> Bye. Um, she was uh, she was doing the makeovers at weekends uh, and she said she was taking a few days off over Easter, which is legitimate. But I do not believe for a second that she actually does have a thriving business. Um, we've seen no, we've seen no figures. You know what I mean? We haven't, there's been no concrete evidence at all that she has a thriving business. Um, all we know is that she said she'd got one new customer and she said, oh, I'm, they said they'd think about it. And she was elated, as elated by that as if they'd put in an order for 10 billion bottles. So I believe that she is just a sales person uh, and that she has got um, sort of uh, backers and the, the rest of it who have actually got the money and that uh, she's, it's just bullshit. I think it's, it's, it's a business. It's, it's again, it's a, it's an aspirational Instagram business built on bullshit. What you got against Instagram? <laughs> it's aspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, now it's time for Out With A Spoon. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Lucy Royfield, yeah. Millie Bell, and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. A sad week for all of us, as we heard of the death of Edward Kelsey. Dumpty Dumbers and other Archers listeners live in an interesting land, one in which we feel we know both the characters and as well the actors who play them, especially those who have been on the show for a long time. We mourn the loss yeah. of Edward Kelsey and anticipate the loss of Joe Grundy. We now know mm. it's coming, and we're prepared for it, but we don't know yes. exactly when it will happen. Joe Grundy was a very kind and funny man, and I suspect that Edward Kelsey was as well. A sad week for Tom and Natasha, too. I'm going to once again stand up in defense of Natasha. Not that I think she's perfect by any means. First off, I don't know if they are finished as a couple. My guess is as good as yours. Do I think she is a coercive controller? No. After all, she's ready to take a hiatus and rethink their relationship. Is she good at compromising? No. She's an assertive businesswoman in her mid-30s who had her own life with friends. Yes, Tom did meet a few of them, who may have mistakenly rebounded from a broken long-term relationship into this one. Ah, she reminds me of the situation of me and handsome husband. He had just ended a very long-term relationship and left his life behind to join me. Even though we want, waited several years to tie the knot, that's the big difference. I've always had to be extra sensitive to the issues related to his knowing very few people here and me having an established life and social mm. circle. Several of my friends did prejudge him. They are no longer my friends. And he still calls me out on it from time to time. I can still be defensive, but I listen. Tom did show evidence of listening, but he is so tone deaf in his actions. Well, I have more to say about this, but no time. Talk to you all soon. I think it's this aspirational bollocks again. She has decided when she spoke to Peggy about, because Peggy was talking about the fact that their marriage was somewhat rushed, you know, 
how come you were with Trev for 10 years? And this Natasha saw this as she described it as um, we were good. It made sense. We were good for each other. And the fact that when someone says it makes sense, that means I have no emotional connection to this person whatsoever, but they're useful. And that's what she saw Tom as useful. He had land. He had uh, a sort of a, she thought he had the same goals as her. Um, and she could see them creating some kind of power couple alliance, which we saw with buying that ludicrous house and oh, renting that ludicrous house and, you know, all that. And, um, that somehow she could make him plant all these trees. He would grow fruit. She could use the fruit blah, 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 and it would, it would become a sort of a business relationship and, um, and a useful, you know, uh, it made sense. It would make sense. Um, but what she hadn't banked on was that Tom has an incredible emotional connection to his family and to his, uh, his village and his roots. And she can't get through that. And that's what lies behind her irritation with him, where she flies to the attack every time there is any kind of uh, perceived slight against her. You should have known that. You should have known that. Because she feels like she's going into a business meeting where she's unprepared. She sees Tom as a sort of an account manager. You didn't prepare me for that meeting. You didn't tell me about this. You, you know, I need to know this stuff. You can hear her saying that to a business colleague, except she's saying it to the man who is supposed to be her husband, except there is no emotional connection there on her side. There is on his because he's a fucking idiot, but there is none on hers. You know what, Liz? Uh, it's very perceptive well, of you. But where I disagree with you is that, and this kind of goes back to, my response to what Andy said is that though I think Natasha is a little bit of a wrong'un, she's not completely a wrong'un in that she can... No, she's emotionally dead. That's what she is, I think. Um, that wasn't even the way I was going to frame my answer. Oh, but, but it's to say that compared... <laughs> shut, shut up and let you finish your sentence. Oh, that would be, be nice. be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, Rob <laughs> Rob started off as being somewhat charming, but very quickly descended into being this 2D villain. I was going to use the word pantomime again, and the, but that's unfair to say pantomime yeah. because there yeah, were... Boo hiss, yeah, cloak flap, etc. Whereas Natasha is, is much more complex. And also for... Right, and I'm thinking about this uh, as the words come out of my mouth. So I haven't, I haven't uh, really coalesced on these thoughts. It's an unformed thought. Yes, right. exactly, exactly. So she isn't I, I, okay. I believe there is some gold diggery going on. I absolutely do. Yeah. So I, I completely yeah, concur she's, with that. Yeah, she's she's married into a company. She thinks she's married into a company. She and she, did, and she hasn't realised that man. she's married into a family who are embedded yeah. in the county, yeah. in the village and then the county. Right. And she makes a point of saying, you know, she, she bumps into, you know, archers all over the place and stuff. So, so there is that. Right. Tom does need some level of direction um, it, you know, it, it's we're not quite talking Rob and Helen, where it was so completely uh, manipulative and, and one-sided. I believe she she does have a eye on on the prize, and the prize is um, a bag of money. However, um, mm. Tom is not without his faults, and he has run headlong into this relationship 
even though she said, let's get married, he said yes. She didn't, she didn't hold mm. a gun to his head, you know, and, and force him. There's no. no reason for him to say yes other than, and I think Claire from Clapham might have mentioned this, that maybe in some ways he's trying to uh, make amends and uh, atone for his uh, Kirsty, uh screw-up. You know, if, if that's even the right word, mm. you know, you know the fact that what what he did to Kirsty, but there is there is the, the the slight touch of the Brenders with um, the way from Tom's perspective with Natasha in that Brenda was more business minded and she was she wasn't it marketing she she was doing it was a marketing mm-hmm. course that she just yeah. done at university and Brenda had ideas and ambitions outside of outside of Ambridge and then you know and as Claire said Claire from Clapham said you know that, that's the echo that you get with Natasha but what Tom has seen is a partner who is also a partner so um, a romantic emotional partner who's also a business partner is what he wanted from Brenda and he never got that from Kirsty first off that's the reason why mm. He then went off with the supermarket woman, wasn't it? Because uh, well, Kirsty always thinks there's something about you know she's she's very sort of um, <laughs> oh no I can't say it because I'll probably offend two thirds of our li- listenership. But she's she's not very interested in business. She sort of sees it as all a bit sort of sleazy and yuck, doesn't she? She's not mm, like yeah, you know Natasha is all about business. True that. Uh, do you know what? William, bless him, we mm. taught him how to make gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. And he's just bought me a gin and tonic of such phenomenal strength that I can hardly see straight now. <laughs> <laughs> so I might be able to get a word in edgeways then now. <laughs> Sorry, yes. <laughs> so obviously this has been an emotional week for us, the listeners, hearing about the passing of Joe Grundy. Uh, but whatever we're feeling, amplify that uh, by a factor of 10 for the actors that worked with Ted, with Edward for the last 35 years. So here are some very special caller in us. It's all right to you, Mrs. I'm suffering from the old farmer's love. That's a pale imitation by me of the wonderful voice of Ted Kelsey, who died recently. To say it was a shock for me, is is just nowhere near it. Ted was one of those people I loved working with. He, he never sounded like that in real life. He had a very cultured voice. And um, whenever he did things at the mic, there was this wicked twinkle in his eye, which I will always remember. God bless you, Ted. Rest in peace. You're going to be sadly missed by uh, all the rude mechanicals of Ambridge and a piece of texture has been lost from our lives forever. Hi, this is Tim Bentink, um, a.k.a. David. We're so very sad that we've lost our old pal, Ted Kelsey. His Joe Grundy was one of the great radio voices, utterly inimitable and instantly recognisable. Tough, gruff, irascible, but with a tender heart of gold for his beloved family, Bartleby the Horse, and occasionally Bert. Some shows have comic characters, and although Joe was often written to be funny, the humour that Ted brought to it came from reality, a commitment to the truth of the man. Trevor Harrison, who plays his son, Eddie, 
reminded me of his stepto-like pathetic voice when required, along with a convenient farmer's lung cough to get out of anything he considered too much work. It was a privilege and a huge pleasure to work with him when Joe and David had scenes together. And they share a birthday, which, with David's 60th coming up, will be poignant as the first one David doesn't share with Joe. He brought such life and subtlety to his performances, an object lesson in great radio acting. He holds the record, probably never to be beaten, for the fewest lines ever in an episode, one word. Joe had had an accident, and when found by Eddie, the last lines of the ep were, Eddie, Dad, Dad, what's happened? Are you all right? Joe, He's still got paid the full episode fee. I was so lucky to have popped in to see him in his nursing home just days before he died. He was his usual happy, laughing, stoic and self-effacing self, with a lovely view of cows and horses. Ted always came into the green room with a smile on his face, as though something just outside had tickled him, no matter what troubles life had been throwing his way. For so many of us, he was more than a colleague. He was a real friend and someone who gladdened your heart to be with. He was generous, kind and thoughtful. One of the good people, and a really wonderful actor. The Archers cast, and Bartleby, will miss you, Ted. Luce, do we have any emails? Yes, we do. Not that I'm coherent enough to read them, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> oh, God, lots of things are opening up now. Um, Jinsky said... Borsetshire and Felpersham. Dear Royfield and Lucy, I'm a first-time emailer in a long-time listener. I've been an enforced listener of the Archers all my life through my mother, but I've been listening by choice since 2010, so that makes me a Jude. I love all these younger listeners we're getting. It's mm. brilliant. I was prompted to get in touch because of Lucy saying she likes to think about Felpersham and Borsetshire as the towns where she grew up. I do the same, the difference being that I grew up a stone's throw from Inkborough, the village Ambridge is supposedly based on. I like to think the scriptwriters took their inspiration for the town surrounding Ambridge from those nearby Inkborough as well. We have two nearby towns, Evesham, like Felpersham, and Worcester, like Borsetshire. Confusingly, however, for me at least, the nature of these towns in Ambridge is the opposite to my reality. Evesham is a small local town, population around 25,000 and about 11 miles from Inkborough. I think of this as Borsetshire. Borchester. Worcester is our nearest city with a population of about 100,000 and approximately 13 miles from Inkborough. Often characters say aghast, that's the other side of Felpersham, to mean that's a ridiculously long way. And I think Alan Anusha sometimes mentioned Felpersham Cathedral. To me, this is Worcester. We also have a cattle market this side of Worcester, which would be convenient for David and Tony, and Ragley Hall, which is lovely, on the way to Stratford, which to me is Lower Loxley. So in answer to Royford's question, Felpsham is bigger, being a city with a cathedral and a little bit further away, but uh, Borchester is a pretty well-served little town where you can get most things you need. Perhaps my imagination is running just a bit wild, but this is how I like to picture it. I no longer live in the Ambridge, Inkborough area, having moved to Wales in 2015, but if any Dumpty Dummers were ever in the vicinity, I would be happy to show you around. Thanks again, and keep up the great work. Jinxy! How nice! That, what, what, what a lovely email. Yes, and I have to say that I have been remiss, and I did try and uh, correct this and couldn't. Um, uh, uh, Kerry actually got in touch with us and told us how he saw uh, the towns, the two, the uh, Felpersham and Borchester. Um, and I have lost the sodding tweet, which is incredibly irritating. I might have another bash at looking for it now. Um, uh, 
But yes, and and, and he said very similar to you, actually, Jinxie. Yes. Mm. Uh, any more emails, Alice? Um, I don't think so, no. Right then. Uh, well, let's crack on with, with some ads and uh, come back the other side with a touch of the Millie Bells. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. G'day everyone, Millie Bell here with the Social Media Roundup and I'm going to do things very slightly differently this week. Normally I go chronologically but today I'm going to uh, do a few of our discussions and then I'm going to end with a tribute that we wrote earlier in the week. Uh, we So I'll start today with whether people were uh, surprised by the outcome of uh, Natasha and Tom on Saturday or are people collecting their winnings, betting on how long it would last. And Ruth Pearl said, I thought karma for the way Tom had treated Kirsty. Take the bloody pigs mm. with you on honeymoon had me laughing out loud. Doreen Kingham said, she's a gold digger. Think about this. Tom has shares in the farm. If they divorce, she will be entitled to some of that. I can see very worrying yep. times ahead for the other members of the family. Zoe Picton said, she would be entitled to it after such a short marriage, no children will be a clean break divorce. I think she meant to say she would not be entitled to it. Heather Fossey says, I don't think she'd get a brass farthing in any divorce hearing due to the speed of separating. Janice Betson said, well, I'm collecting my winnings, but I did cheat because in the Radio Times for last night it said Tom's world starts to fall apart. So it was either Natasha or the sausages. And Laura Jackson said, while Tom is totally self-centred, he had been trying to please Natasha and tonight was trying to create a pleasant evening. Not only is nothing he does good enough, but she is very mean in her comments. If her end game is to acquire a chunk of the farm's assets, this is an odd way to go about it. And one would hope they're in some sort of joint family corporation and not Tom's personal property. And I must admit that lots of people were a bit sniffy about the fact that he tried to organise um, a sort of honeymoon in Felpersham. And I actually disagreed with him because I don't think you have to go somewhere flash and just having a break somewhere else is good enough. And that's certainly 
something that uh, my partner and I did. In fact, we went to the Isle of Wight because uh, that's all we could afford and we were completely cool with that. So, yeah, I, I d- didn't think much of that thread myself, but, it, you know, it's not up to me, is it? It's up to all of us. Um, we also talked about um, what is it with the senior residents of Ambridge thinking it's okay to ask young women about their plans to have children. There are so many things wrong with this. And we talked about this once before when I think Jenny was talking to Alice about it. Um, I just think it's such a personal thing and no one should be talking about it. But that's my opinion. What did you have to say? Miriam Craig said, I'm 35 and have never been asked. I'm very grateful. I was horrified by the conversation. Peggy is a monster. Uh, Rita Maynard King said, I do this to my daughter every time I see her. She loves telling me she hates babies. We (laughs) laugh about it. It's all good. Well, I guess with that relationship, you could. Absolutely. But I don't think that's the relationship that uh, Natasha has with people. Fiona Crawford said, it happens all the time when you are around 30. Then if you have one, you get asked if you'll be having a second. Then if you have two of the same sex, you get asked if you'll be trying for one of the opposite sex. I have one of each. But despite saying um, adamantly I don't want more, I've had almost strangers insist that I might have another one anyway. Having said that, it's interesting to know how other people feel about children, and I don't feel like it's a totally taboo subject if handled sensitively and discussed with friends or family you know well. Yes, I do agree that you would have to know someone really well to broach the subject, but I know a lot of people really well, and I wouldn't broach the subject. I just think it's too personal. But hey-ho, horses for courses. Um, Just a request, everyone. Um, Neither... um, Yoko Bear nor I see it as our place to censor things on our page. So if you ask us to publish something, then we will. But can you just be a bit careful? There was something put on this week that some people took offence to. Um, I thought it was a bit iffy when I went to do it myself, but I thought, hey, you know, my sense of humour is different to others. Um, I haven't taken it down, but, you know, just be sensitive to how others might feel. That would be awesome. Now, uh, the main focus, I think, for this week needs to be the tribute to Ted Kelsey. And I asked people if they would um, like to share anything about either Ted, the actor, or Joe Grundy, and to, um, because I knew that their words would be better than mine. And Megan Eliza Stott said, Joe Grundy was what made the archers so listenable and endearing when I was younger. He was one of those fixtures that you would look forward to hearing on the docudrama. What I loved is finding out Ted was from Petersfield, which is one of my nearest towns. So I could have walked past Ted and not even realised I had. He will be greatly missed. Agreed, Megan. Um, Fiona Frank said, I loved sharing a birthday with him and David. Came around regular as clockwork, always mentioned on the programme every year, and I felt a real affinity with him through this. Susie Christopher said that Joe Grundy was like an anchor in the cast grounded and stable although he often had comedic line scenes his pearls of wisdom were sound and true he was reliable on his sort of the earth like an aged oak and i will miss him terribly christopher sanderson said i've been listening since the 70s so i remember the previous actor who played joe however i soon gained a strong liking for ted especially his malapropisms It was a delight to see him in The Vicar of Dibley and to find that Joe Grundy's face pictured in my mind was exactly what Ted looked like. (laughs) His cunning tricks and his competitive relationship with Bert Fry will be sadly missed. But it seems he will be spared. 
having to move out of Grange Farm again. There were so many nice things on that thread, and I don't have time to read them all. But if you'd like to know what our listeners and our caller innerers think of the fabulous Ted Kelsey, please go and have a look. So it was a very sad week, I think. I honestly think that for us who follow the archers. Um, I was I was just so sad. And, of course, I've never met him and I don't know him, but it just goes to show how much this docudrama does affect us all and how much investment we have in it. So RIP Ted Kelsey um, and to everybody who contributed, I'm really grateful. Thank you for that. Please don't forget that we also have a Saturday non-archers post that's put up by Witherspoon and um, he put a fun one up this weekend um other than that i look forward to speaking to you in a fortnight until then you will be in the very capable hands of yogel bear so until i speak to you again Millie Bell. Uh, and as always uh that was tip top bristol fashion uh lucy freeman yeah would you like to hit us with some newspaper headlines from the daily mirror Yes. I've lost my file again. Right. Doctors urge women to stop putting garlic in their vaginas. (laughs) Now, after last week, where I sent you pictures of a vagina, I am no longer sending you pictures of a vagina, Royfield, so you're just going to have to work with that, okay? (laughs) Thank you, Lucy. Women, don't put garlic in it. Anyway. Uh, right, do you want tweets of the week now? Yes, please. Okay, Chris Borrell. So, pieces of the missing bunting are going to te- keep turning up in odd places like severed body parts. <laughs> um, Carl Jonas Johansson, also Eggstones mm. on the Twitters, said, ha ha ha, Tom's romantic endeavour was shot down ASAP. He should have gone for the strap on instead of the candles. <laughs> sure he needs a strap on to be honest Carl but anyway um, Paul Truman it is 2041 an elderly pig man Jazza is making elaborate plans for Tom Archer's stag night as the unlucky in love sausage magnate prepares to marry his 19th wife oh. <laughs> and to, I know uh, <coughs> Nozilla 63 Jolene and her new band are on target for a Christmas hit a new country and western ballad about the lonely pig boy unlucky in love and the wife who ran off with their extensive bed linen collection. <laughs> and tweet of, the week, tweet of the week is from David Steele. Not the MP, I presume, but who knows. Tweet of the week is... It may have been mentioned before, but Natasha in reverse is R. Satan. What? It is. Natasha, backwards, is R. Satan. Wow. Yes, mm. he said, Hilda knows. <laughs> Bo- I did like the business with Hilda. I thought that was very funny. No, it was. Um, you know, I tell you a character who I just think gets beaten up remorselessly, relentlessly by uh, Dumpy Dummers and by Arctic Swans in general. Peggy. Shula. No, Peggy. Oh, Shula deserves everything she gets. Oh. I got, no, I got no time for her. <laughs> but Peggy... <laughs> I really like Peggy, and I'm not saying she's not without the odd the odd floor or, or five, but I think there's more positive 
and she's loyal no. and she no. sorry what did you just say i said no oh, and no and no as matriarchs she's go vile. she's not vile she's not vile she's a woman of a of a she time and age she's the daily male in human form you've said this before right but yes, she is right 90 how much? Children. 94. I don't care how much oh, she is. Whatever. It's not a fucking excuse. Dumdum.com, go there, folks. It's got a shop. <laughs> and you can go onto the forum and, you know, and basically say, Royfield, you're right. You know, I'm not saying that Peggy is, 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 is a perfect manifestation of a matriarch, but she could be a darn tight work. She's not Heather Woolley, is she? No siree, Bob. And she, and she sent her away with the flea in her ear. Anyway, dum dum I was starting to warm to Peggy, and then she dumped Emma, and then I went right off her. Yeah, but that's a script writer's being lazy. That 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 wasn't that wasn't Peggy. It wasn't in character. No, was it really? no, no, not at all. Anyway, dum dum dot com. It's also got a shop there. You can go and get your dum dum swag, your mugs, your t shirts, your hoodies. You know, even your undercrackers. We've even got undercrackers that say dum dum. All over. It should be dumpty bum, really. Oh, good God. I've missed out there, didn't I, Lucy? <laughs> I will be uploading dumpty bum pants <laughs> the minute this podcast is over. So, yeah. Ooh. Uh, so go to dumptydum.com, uh, folks, and show us your support for this podcast. Also, another way of showing your support is by writing us a review on Apple iTunes. And we do have that a few more new reviews have, have actually come in loose. So I think maybe next week uh, it'll be time for us to read out the people that have sent us reviews in the last few months. It's a roll call. And uh, you're a hero if you've done that. Talking about heroes, Avengers Endgame. War. I tell you what, right? I tell you what, Lucy. I am a Captain America fan. Always have been from when I was a little boy. There are the cinema that I saw it at, and I'm and it's always the case. Whenever there are uh, movies which have real dedicated uh, fan followings, you go and watch it the first weekend, and it is an emotional roller coaster. In terms mm. of the audience, the audience gasp, they cheer, they clap, and cry in unison. And my God, did that happen. Like when you went to see that film and that man was saying to you, this is really, really exciting, I'm so excited, and he, he couldn't... Exactly, us. Black Panther. Yeah. First night of Black Panther. Which one was that? Black, that was the... Black Panther, Lucy. Black Panther. That's Lucy. when I said Black Panther. Right, and then you said, which one is that? Yeah, Black Panther. Yeah, because I can't hear you properly because your Wi-Fi keeps dropping out. Why is it my Wi-Fi? Why is it not your upstream? Why is it not yours? Whatever. Because I can see on the health check thingy, Bob, actually. That's got nothing to do with the Wi-Fi. The health check is the amount of space left on your hard drive. Anyway. Oh. There were three scenes with my Captain America first one can't say what it is because I know there's still a lot of people haven't seen it where people just stood up and applauded just like you know what I'm clapping I'm clapping right and then oh my god like this the scene where he embraces the love of his life holy cow loose I you said off mic that your little William had had a lump in his throat that he couldn't get rid of even when he swallowed. 
I was there. And I actually. Well, Simon was full on weeping. So there <laughs> I honestly thought, okay, I'm going to cry. I'm a grown man of 50 watching a superhero film. I'm going to cry. Right. And I did, the tears didn't quite come out of my tear ducts, but they were right there, primed primed <laughs> i was like oh my god right and i just went quiet because i thought oh fuck i'm gonna cry right but i love steve rogers i really do the character who plays captain america and i've been in love with him since about the age of four i really have and to see Aww. to see his story played out in cinematic form with deft writing and a brilliant actor well, no, a brilliant, brilliant writing so that through the films, you got his emotional arc. You got his story that he's somebody out of time because he's reanimated, in effect, from the 1940s. And all the confusion that, that then ensues. And then there's great scenes in another film where um, he meets up with, with Sam, who plays the Falcon. And Sam's listening to music and he says, what's that? And he said, it's Trouble Man by Martin Gaye. And he gets out a pen and paper and he writes it down. It's all the music he needs to listen to. There's little great things like that. And then for Steve to hold the love of his life at the end. Oh, loose bits. I was in bits, right? <laughs> <laughs> and me and literally, literally everybody else in the room was like, oh, my God. Like it's, because, you know, he ain't seen her in, in how many years? Oh, it was just wonderful. And it did make me think of the archers. I love superheroes. I love Game of Thrones. I'm not into sword and fantasy normally. The, the, you know, goblins and wizards and dragons. That's normally not my bag. But my God, <laughs> Game of Thrones yesterday, Lucy. <laughs> and it's all the things that the three, the three ele- the three things that I've like gorged myself on. Uh, this weekend, The Archers, Avengers Endgame, and then uh, Game of Thrones, are all the elements of drama that I love and adore. Number one, great characterization. All three of those dramas have it in a way that EastEnders doesn't. And I used to, I used to watch it. I watched the very first episode of EastEnders and I watched it for 20 plus years and I just gave up because the characterization on that show is piss poor, piss poor. There are so many identical characters as well. Yeah. But you don't have it in those three, right? Iron Man's arc is very different to Captain America's or Thor's and whatever. They're written really, really well. Ditto, David Archer isn't Kenton. They're not interchangeable in that way. They're not. Whereas anybody can literally run the bull. In, not, sorry, anyone can run uh, the Queen Vic in EastEnders. You know, people who apparently have no skill uh, in dealing with members of the public can end up running that place and stuff. It's interchangeable. And then you have Game of Thrones, which is just, take the characterization to one side, epic scale, epic scale, scale that is epic, Lucy. And then the inverse <laughs> that I love, which is the small scale, which is, you know, Ambridge, the archers. You know, yes. it's the minutiae. It is. But Peggy. they are all... They are all confined worlds with rules. With rules that make sense. The rules that make sense. Mm, which is why 
but it's a cult thing, which is it's his definition of a cult, which mm. is why people love Doctor Who, which is why they oh, love Oh, Doctor Who doesn't make any sense. Why they, no. And I'll, and I'll yes, fuck, it does. Well, they just, they just keep bending the rules every time. It there doesn't you make go. sense to sort of the, fit it in. But it's there are there are rules, and PG Woodhouse, there are rules and limits, and you understand this world you are going into. And it is hugely satisfying and hugely comforting because the world is a big and scary and largely unpleasant place and then you can retreat into this world where you understand the rules and people play by the rules and it's hugely comforting but also at the heart of any world is are characters that display real humanity that actually their humanity is small and and that's what makes that's what made people cry watching Avengers Endgame. Big, hairy-ass mm. men who are, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, <laughs> you know, crying, right? Yeah. And and that's what makes uh, Game of Thrones so compelling because actually the characters, you've been with them for eight years as they've trampled all over Westeros and Essos, and now they're, they're at their Endgame, you know, you've, you've completely invested in them. And Jamie Lannister's story is something which makes complete notice. So here is somebody who's been committing incest with his sister for years. And actually you go, yeah. nice bloke. Because they've, been, they've, <laughs> they've managed to write, it, write him so well. And he has so many redeeming yeah. qualities apart from that that you go, okay, I'll forgive that. Right? <laughs> you know? And you go, what? deft writing that yeah. must be for you to forgive incest not just once or twice just a little yeah. slip up and uh you know it's like it's going on for bloody years and tremendous what a slip weekend in, surely not slip up uh, but there no. you go um what a weekend to be uh a fan of continuing drama what a time to be alive absolutely loose and on that and on that <laughs> note, folks, remember to get in contact. You can send us a voice message via Speak by Bun, our website, or call us on 0203-031-3105 to leave us a phone from a message on social media, specifically Twitter. You can find Yoko Bear pretending to be Lucy and I at Dumdy Dum. And, of course, you can follow him where he's Only at better. Yoko Bear. He's like us, but funnier. Well, yeah. yeah. My God, that man's a tour de force on that platform, I tell you. Uh and of course, Lucy can be found at Lucy V Freeman, and I can be found though uh, at Royfield. Though, why would you even want to follow me? Because you know my tweets are bad. So, and then there is Facebook. You went a bit of Vicky Pollard. Then I can be found at Royfield though, and he went. Would you want to like follow me though? <laughs> <laughs> And folks, there is, of course, Facebook, where you'll find Millie Bell, Yoko Bear and Witherspoon doing what they do best, which is talking about all things to do with the archers and Ambridge and stuff like that. So, Lucy, um, it's been somewhat of uh, a roller coaster week for all fans of this continuing uh, docudrama. Uh, would you like to sign off before we play another scene that features our Ted playing Joe Grundy? Yes, please. What What did I just say to you? Would you like? You said could could could. Would you like to sign up? Yes, you said oh, could. Was your yes please your sign up? Oh, no, I don't want to sign off. I just want to listen to the Joe Grunty thing. Okay, awesome. Well, let's uh, uh, roll. I was going to say roll VT, but of course there is no videotape. Roll audio. <laughs> Whoa, stay still, Jim. A uh, few more minutes, Christian. 
I'll be fine to carry on. <laughs> I'm still with you, girl. <laughs> and you're quite wrong, Brian Aldrich. Well, you're not pleased to see what's happened to us. Oh, I've suffered too much in my own life to exalt anybody else's downfall. Oh. <laughs> you and your missus being driven out of your home ain't no different to my family being forced to live in Meadow Rise. Oh, terrible place that was. We knew we'd fallen as low as it's possible to fall then. Same as you now. Yeah, yeah we haven't quite lost everything. Yes, you and Mrs. I feel most sorry for. I remember what she did for us after poor Nick passed on. Ah. A lot of folk didn't know what to do or say. Well, she did, yeah. She comes straight round with a shepherd's pie and a few kind words. She knew we was in no state to look after ourselves. Yeah, well, Jenny's very good that way. Well, I didn't see her kindness for what it was. I was too torn up inside. Blaming myself for Nick getting sepsis. Yeah, still do sometimes. Oh, come on, it wasn't your fault, Joe. These awful things uh, just, just happened. Uh, I was bubbling over with anger and guilt. Didn't think there was any way out of it. Silly old fools I was. All I wanted to do was to lash out. Oh, yes. Take on the old world. You do, don't you? And no matter how futile that is. Uh, how's your ankle now? Uh, yeah, get in there. You know what pulled me back from all that rage? No. Seeing the harm and worry I was causing the rest of the family. They was grieving the exact same loss. What was my feelings worth next to theirs? Poor Williams, most of all. Thank the Lord I had enough sense to see it before he made a very dark situation any worse. Yeah. That's the lesson I pulled out of it, Brian Aldridge. When everybody's suffering, don't waste time fighting your own selfish battles. Look round and ask, what's the right thing to do for the folk you love most? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 